Well, good morning again. If I haven't had a chance to greet you personally, thanks for being here. Glad that uh, each and every one of you are here. We, uh, we tend to acknowledge guests because we want people that are here for the very first time to feel welcomed and have a positive experience, but sometimes we neglect to thank those of you that are here almost every single week. We really are thrilled that you're, you're here and you're so faithful to be here. Earlier, you heard me announce the birth of Penelope Marie Kruger, and we have been blessed to be able to make those kinds of announcements often, but that announcement reminds me of the sacrifices that a mother makes for her children. You think about it. A mother willingly endures nine months of being uncomfortable and having her body and her body chemistry drastically change. She experiences, among other things, fatigue, morning sickness, flat out just the loss of a lot of sleep. At a certain point in the pregnancy, she will experience difficulty at times, even breathing, as that child gets bigger and bigger. And then there's a point where a mother has a 7 to 10-pound little person living inside of her, pressing up against all of the organs that she has on her insides. And all that I've just described just leads up to the really fun part, the delivery Whether a natural delivery or a C-section, delivering a child involves a lot of pain. Suffering goes on when you bring a child into this world. And one thing that I am absolutely convinced of is that if a man had to, to carry and to deliver a child, a lot less of us would be here today than are here. Am I speaking the truth, men? Yeah, look at these guys. This Guy's being pushed away. The other guy's taking a selfie during his wife's labor contractions. Hey, if you would, grab your Bibles uh, or your electronic device and flip to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. That's where Levi left off last week. And this morning, we are going to read about just some of what the Apostle Paul was willing to go through for the good of the church. And in this section of Colossians that we're going to be looking at this morning, We are going to see how Paul's love for Jesus, his captivation of Jesus, compelled him to suffer, to serve, and to struggle for the church. Now, I want to remind you as you're turning that the book of Colossians, if you weren't aware of this, is really a letter. And it's a letter that Paul wrote to a group of three small churches in what would be now modern-day Turkey. So this is Colossae, this is Laodicea, and this is Heropolis. The letter was actually written to the church in Colossae. The Colossian church was the smallest of these three churches. And uh, Laodicea was probably the most prominent. But the letter was written to the church in Colossae. And at the end of the letter, we'll get to it, Paul says, pass this letter to the brothers and sisters in these other two churches as well. You see, Paul was under house arrest in Rome at the time that he wrote this letter. And Paul traveled all kinds of different places. But not once have I seen any evidence that Paul actually physically visited the church in Colossae. And so we read about a guy by the name of Epaphras. 
And Epaphras apparently was a convert of Paul. Paul shared the gospel with Epaphras. Epaphras received the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ had done. And then Paul went one way and Epaphras went another, apparently planting these churches. And then eventually Epaphras makes his way to Rome where Paul is, and he gives Paul an update about what's going on in these churches. And then Paul responds uh, to that letter. As Levi mentioned at the beginning of this series, unlike a lot of Paul's letters, the epistles to different churches, the church in Colossae was actually doing pretty well. They were theologically hanging on uh, very well to the truth. However, there was a group of false teachers in that area uh, by the name of Gnostics. And, And Gnostics were trying to teach the church in Colossae other things than the pure gospel that Paul had shared with them. Uh, The Gnostics actually believe some pretty uh, weird things. They believe in in one God who created eight lesser gods, one of which was a goddess by the name of Sophia. And Sophia was said to have created a being, a flawed being that created a flawed earth. So Gnostics took some of Christianity and they blended it in with a lot of other pretty whacked out world philosophies and and thoughts. And one of the main things that Gnostics tried to get Christians to believe was that there was some other kind of special knowledge and special truth that they needed in addition to the gospel. They denied the humanity of Jesus Christ, and they denied his suffering on the cross. Those are some pretty key elements of the gospel and and of truth. So needless to say, Paul wants to make sure that not only the church in Colossae, but in these other couple of cities as well, that they hang on to the simple, pure gospel that he has given them. And so we're going to take a little look at at the section of this letter. Uh, Before I, I read, let me just pray and ask the Lord to open up our hearts and minds to his word. Father God, again, thank you for the joy and the privilege of having your word, having the ability to read it any day that we want, any time that we want, to have it impact our lives. Uh, Lord, we count it a special privilege today to be together uh, as a church family with some additional friends that have joined us this morning to look into your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that your word would instruct our hearts, that it would encourage our hearts, that it would change our hearts. Ultimately, Lord, that it would be a part of transforming our hearts so that we could be more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do whatever it is that you want to do today uh, through our lives, uh, through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So follow along again on your tablet, on your phone. You can look at it on the screen. If you've got your own Bible, that's always great because you can highlight things and you can circle things and write in it. Don't ever hesitate to do that. I'll be reading um, chapter 1, verse 24, and then we're going to go into chapter 2 for the first five verses there as well. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which is so powerfully at work in me. Chapter 2 begins, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So there's a lot to unpack there. But the main thing I want you to see in verse 24 is the fact that the Apostle Paul suffered willingly for the church. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I don't have to tell you, that suffering involves experiencing something that's difficult, something that's unpleasant or even painful. Suffering is always some sort of sacrifice. The irony of this is if, if any of you knew the history of the Apostle Paul, the irony of this is before he was a follower of Jesus Christ, many of you are aware that the Apostle Paul actually persecuted severely the church. He caused other Christians to suffer for the cause of Christ. If you want to read about this, look at, at the book of Acts. And you may want to make a note on your bulletin if you want to look at this this weekend or, or this week. Uh, Acts chapter 7, we see that Paul is literally physically at the stoning of a man named Stephen. And the book of Acts chapter 7, it records the first person in recorded scripture that actually gave their life for standing up for Jesus Christ. They took him outside of town, they grabbed a bunch of rocks, and they threw rocks at him until he was dead. And Paul was there giving approval at the death of Stephen. In Acts chapter 8, it says that a great persecution broke out amongst the church in Jerusalem. And it says Saul, Paul's name was Saul at one time, it says Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house, and had men and women drug off and put in prison. And then, thankfully, in Acts chapter 9, we read that the Apostle Paul had a very dramatic and a life-changing encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And he literally went from persecuting the church to being persecuted for the church overnight. It's amazing the difference that, that Jesus Christ can make in a person's life. At the time that Paul was writing to the Colossians, almost 30 years had gone by since his own conversion to, to Christ. And during that entire 30 years, 
Paul dedicated his life to advancing the good news, the gospel about what Jesus Christ had done for him and what Jesus Christ offers to do for all mankind. During that time, the Apostle Paul experienced literally mind-boggling resistance and suffering. Make a note of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read it for you here. But this is just a small list, a partial list of the things that the Apostle Paul endured for the church. 2 Corinthians 11, uh, starting at verse 24, Paul writes, Five times, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Many of you know what that reference is. It's to flogging a person. But because the Jewish law said you could only flog a person 40 times, even if they counted and made extra sure, they typically only flogged a person up to 39 times so that they didn't go over that 40. Five times Paul received that experience. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. Now, some of you might have gotten through the beating with the, the flogging and the sticks, but when he got to being without sleep, now you're starting to identify with the Apostle Paul. Not that. I've known hunger, and I've known thirst, and I've gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. He meant all those churches that have been planted and that are growing. Now, again, Remember, Paul, Paul is actually even writing this letter from house arrest in Rome. He would eventually be put to death for the cause of Christ. Paul understood suffering. And he said, I rejoice in this suffering. That's hard to imagine why someone would rejoice under that kind of excruciating suffering. And he says, I rejoice in it. Why? Paul gives us a clue here. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, understand, Paul is not even hinting at, much less suggesting, that in some way he paid a price that Jesus prayed, 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 uh, prayed for our sins. Jesus' death on the cross, the suffering of Jesus Christ, was 100% completely sufficient to provide forgiveness of sins of anyone who would want to receive them. So Paul has made it clear. He's not saying, I added to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But, but people hated Jesus, and they tortured him, and they beat him, and they eventually crucified him, and he eventually died on a cross. So they couldn't beat him anymore. Paul is saying that there were people who had not gotten their fill of beating on the flesh of Jesus Christ. And so I consider it an honor if those same people who are still angry with Jesus and would like to have him here to beat on him, if they beat on me instead. Paul never forgot how Jesus had suffered from him in, in order to forgive him. And Paul was so captivated by that love that he considered it a joy to suffer 
in the name of Jesus for the church. And Paul wasn't the only church leader. You'll know all the other disciples were at some point in time a martyr. John, they said, lived to an older age, and he was, in his final writings, was out on an island separated from others. And why shouldn't we expect this? Jesus Christ himself predicted that his followers would experience suffering. In John 15, 20, Jesus says, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And throughout history, Christians have been willing to suffer for their faith so that the truth of the gospel could continue to, to be pure and could continue to advance through the church. You know, sometimes we forget that even today, today in, in Islamic and in Hindu and in, in communist parts of this world, there, there are Christians who are imprisoned. There are Christians who are more than just ridiculed or mocked. They're rejected by their families. Some of them are beaten and some of them are actually put to death still today for the name of Jesus Christ. While I doubt that any of you here this morning, or, or I doubt that I will have to face that or do face that kind of level of persecution, some of you here this morning have been ridiculed by your family or by coworkers or by neighbors or people that you work with or people that you go to school with. And church, I hope you, you understand that when that happens, it's not fun, but it's, it's an honor to suffer for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we should go out and bring that intentionally upon ourselves, but uh, when it does happen, we need to, to, uh, to trust that, that God's going to get us through that. We live in a broken and a fallen world, and uh, as a result, there are natural and there are supernatural forces that would want to, to squelch the truth, would want to distort the truth, and, and we stand on the shoulders of people like the Apostle Paul, like other Christians that have been willing to suffer and even die so that God's word would continue to be available today for us to read. Paul not only suffered for the church, but Paul became a servant of the church as well. Uh, verse 25 says, I have become its servant by the commission that God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a message. Paul was set apart, and he was commissioned by God to serve the church. Paul dedicated his life to establishing new churches and to planting other churches and helping them grow so that more and more people could hear the word of God and be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that more people could hear and understand what Jesus Christ had done for them. If we could talk to the Apostle Paul and ask him, Paul, do you ever, do you ever regret giving yourself to serving the church in the manner that you do? I am 100% confident that Paul's response would be an immediate, not at all. In fact, I wish I could have done more. Friends, I'm 
truly, and when I say this, I mean honestly, I am humbled to be one of the two pastors in this church. But I want you to know that the role that Levi and I have is no more significant than the role that each one of you have. The Bible is very clear that everyone who follows Jesus Christ has been given not only natural talents and abilities and and opportunities, but has been given spiritual gifts to be used to build up and encourage the church. Giving much of ourselves to serving the church is in no way a waste of time or a waste of energy. And by church, I don't mean a building or a religious organization. Uh, Last week in Colossians 1.18, we read that um, Jesus is the head of the church, the body. Um, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of the universal church. You are part of that church that is made up by every authentic believer in Jesus Christ. And it's God's desire that everybody within that church is a part of a local church. And Crossroads Napoleon is privileged to be one of literally thousands and thousands of local churches. One pastor and author had this to say about the church. I don't have it on the screen, but listen to this quote about the church. He writes, The local church is the hope of the world. There is nothing like the church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need, and it opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, offers belonging to the marginalized of the world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. Does the church have its problems? Yeah, it does, because the church is filled with imperfect people. And imperfect people do things that that the church shouldn't do. And so the problems that we see in the world, we oftentimes see in the church. And yet, even when the church struggles, it's effective in changing the world because it is empowered by the Holy Spirit and it is driven by the truth of God's Word. So Paul's willing to suffer for the church. He serves the church. And finally, in this text, we see that Paul continues to struggle for the church. The word struggle just simply implies resistance that, that requires continual effort. I picked out just a few, a few photos that kind of uh, symbolize the struggle there. Maybe the donkey's given up after he got his feet off the ground there, but you've seen a salmon struggling to swim up, up shore or some of these people that play tug of war. It's a constant, constant struggle. It illustrates that. Paul writes in verse 28, he, meaning Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. That's the beauty of it. The Holy Spirit empowers us in this struggle. 
I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul understood well that the church in Colossae and the people in Laodicea didn't need some other mysterious additional knowledge to the gospel. They had the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that was all that they needed. Paul was willing to invest his life in the church. He suffered, he served, and he struggled on behalf of the church. The final two verses of today's text Give us a little bit of a glimpse again as to why Paul was willing to put himself out there in that way. Verse uh, 4 and 5 of chapter 2 says, I tell you this so that no one will deceive you, that no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul viewed the church as a spiritual family. He viewed it as literally the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. He had experienced and witnessed the transformational power of the gospel to change lives on earth and for eternity. Paul did not want any kind of false teaching to make its way into the church to distort or quiet the truth. Church of Matthew 28, 18, we get, as a local church, our marching orders. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, what a cool thing and an awesome thing to think that we have been commissioned in the same way that Paul has been commissioned, to help the lost get found, to share Jesus Christ with others. Taking the gospel across the office, across the the classroom, across the street, or across the ocean typically requires some amount of sacrifice and self-denial. Let me encourage you again with some more words of Jesus found in Matthew 5. Jesus says, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The band can go ahead and head up here to lead us in a closing song. And uh, before they do, um, church, I want to tell you again how much fun it is to be a part of this church. How much joy I have when I come in uh, to the office during the week. Um, This is a very, very special local church. We have our issues like everyone else. Your pastors have their issues. You you know that. 
Um, but you don't have to look around very far here at Crossroads Napoleon to see people who are willing to, to suffer, to see people who serve, to see people who are glad to sacrifice for the church. And, and without naming any names, I, I just want to mention a few things. Um, we have, I understand, 59 people that at some level work with our students from senior high all the way down to nursery. Um, we have people that are willing, again, to hold babies in the nursery, change diapers, people who put snacks out for those of us who enjoy them every week to enjoy. Other people make those snacks. We have people that are a part of leadership teams. There are, I understand, around 40 different people that are involved in either the worship ministries or sound ministries or tech ministries. Um, we have people who uh, have helped out on leadership teams. We have people who pray for this church every single day. Many of you make sacrifices financially to support this church. Uh, I came back to town, Levi and I did, um, at 8 o'clock last Saturday. And we get here, and there's a guy here on Saturday night wiring stuff around this building. Folks, there are things that happen in this building that Levi and I don't even know about. Guys that, again, painted and, and made our classrooms in the back and just keep this thing going. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the sacrifices and the, the commitment that you made. Those sacrifices and those efforts make a difference. They really do. I want to close uh, by uh, mentioning that many of you received an email. I hope you did this week. Uh, if you didn't receive an email, uh, there is an email letter printed out here at the information table. And that email was really to describe where we're at as a church financially today. And it was to describe three different transitions that are going to take place within our church in terms of, of leadership uh, here at Crossroads. And, and as those changes are taking place, we have all kinds of people that have already said, I will step up and I will take this piece and I will take this piece. It has been an, a joy and, and it's so encouraging to see people in this body step up and, and provide assistance and help. And, and I want you to know that um, I'm confident that many of you will take that email and you'll pray about it and you'll pray even in terms of what your, uh, God, how God has moved you to financially support this church. And, and you will just listen to the Holy Spirit with all that. With all that said, I need you to know that Levi and I and our leadership team are in no way discouraged by these transitions or even where we're at financially. We are completely confident that God will work in all of our hearts and together we'll, we'll come together and see what God does. I am incredibly grateful for the small part that God has allowed Crossroads Napoleon to make in building his kingdom over the last nine years. And yet, I am absolutely confident that the best is yet to come. Let me pray, and then the band's going to lead us in a final song here. Father God, I don't know whether Paul was aware of it or not, uh, way back when, uh, during the times that he was being beaten or shipwrecked or uh, cold and hungry, uh, on behalf of the gospel, on behalf of the church, I have no clue whether he would realize that it encourages me today in 2018 to know that there was a man that was so committed to the gospel and so committed to your word continuing to be taught and, and, and be protected, Lord, that he was literally willing to give his life. 
And I know not only the Apostle Paul, but thousands and thousands and thousands of other Christians throughout history have been, been brutalized and have sacrificed their lives, really laid their lives down as an offering to you. And Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, I, I think as the church today, we are aware that things are continually in motion in our culture and in our world. And Lord, I don't say this out of fear, but I think there's an awareness among believers that there's, uh, we're moving more and more to a time where believers can expect hostility. And Lord, again, we don't want to hide out in our church or hide out in our houses when those things come. Lord, may we be willing to stand up and proclaim in a very loving and very clear way the gospel of Jesus Christ so that future generations uh, will be able to, to read your word and, and know that it's the true, pure word of God. Thank you for the people here at Crossroads. Thanks for the opportunity to worship you through song as we finish. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.